Good morning, everybody. It's definitely good to be back here with my King's Chapel family. Amen. Let me just pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength, my redeemer. God, today give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to be receptive to your word. Because your word is truth. And the words you speak to us are spirit and life. They that have an ear, God, give them an ear to hear what your spirit is going to say today. We pray, God, that we don't be hearers only, but doers of your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, what an honor it is to be here. Um, Greetings to you also from my wife, April. Uh, who could not be with us today. She's still in recovery from uh, major surgery she had on her shoulder and uh, can be painful just getting in the car and riding. Uh, But she is my greatest cheerleader. I'm sure she's watching online. I hope she is anyway. Uh, We also bring you greetings from the Kingdom Church um, where I serve as one of the associate pastors there. And... um, We're excited about what God is doing there, excited about what God is doing here amongst uh, our family here at King's Chapel. Today, I want to uh, speak a message uh, today on a church in crisis, a church in Christ is. Before I get started, I will say to you, my friend, Jeff my soul is well. It is well with my soul. And uh, the reason why, I love that song that we sung earlier today, uh, but whenever Jeff and I get together, one of the, his, his great questions, David, how's your soul? And uh, I'll ask him the same thing. So today, I proclaim loudly, my soul is well. Amen? <clears throat> Let's read from Acts 1, 4 through 8. Uh, We're also going to hit 2 Corinthians 3 and in John 12. Um, Last week, uh, we were able to, along with the rest of the Christian world globally, celebrate the greatest day of all of history. And that is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Um, It is the single most important uh, uh, event of history because... Uh, Christianity could not survive if there is a verifiable tomb in Jerusalem with the Lord's body in it. Uh, if, there, if they could find and it could be verified that this is Jesus' body and that he's still dead, it would be the end of Christianity because we stake our entire faith on the fact that he got back up again. Amen. And that he lives and lives forevermore. And as we pick up from that story, um, I, w- I was looking at the life of Christ from resurrection to his ascension, those 40 days. I asked myself a few questions. Um, why 40 days? Um, uh, why didn't he just ascend immediately after um, resurrecting? And, um, you know, the scripture is is silent somewhat in terms of answering that question. But I like to think maybe it is because 
at that point when Jesus died on the cross and was buried, many of the disciples, many of his followers uh, felt like their hopes died with him because they were hoping that this would-be Messiah would come and just overthrow and get rid of the Roman tyranny uh, from Rome and all the things that was happening under Rome's leadership and their governance over the province of Israel. And, and so they were somewhat, I believe, in a crisis. And I believe that Jesus hung around for 40, <coughs> excuse me, now let me just say this, um, pollen is thick and how it affects me is nasal and a little cough. It's not COVID, I can tell you that right now. So don't look at me sideways in Jesus' name. <clears throat> I brought my Flonase and my, uh, uh, what do you call that, um, the oils. I, I don't, I'm all anointed up here. I smell like a big old uh, uh, candy, uh, peppermint candy right now. <laughs> Acts 1, 4 through 8. And so as Jesus is preparing to leave and ascend on high, I believe those 40 days that he was here after the resurrection is to help move his church, his believers, out of this point of crisis because many of them were hidden. They hid because of fear. Um, they hid because of a number of reasons. But in those 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciple multiple times. He appeared to 500 people at once. Um, there were so many different appearances of the Lord to the point that no one could doubt that Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, it caused those apostles to live their life in such a way where the, uh, the book of Acts said men who hazarded their lives for the sake of Christ. These people would put it on the line. They would die for the cause of Christ. It is said that Peter, even when he died, he died upside down on the cross because he did not want to die in the same manner that his Savior did. But what causes people to want to live for Jesus. What causes people to want to live for him, you know, even amidst persecution? And I want to start with the fourth verse of Acts 1. <clears throat> While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So they still had that hope. Lord, now before you take off, are you going to hook us up? Are we going to get back in power? Are you going to finally deal with this Roman tyranny? God, is this the time where you're going to restore your kingdom? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But here it is. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. 
and you will be my witnesses. Imagine in this pandemic, imagine what's going on in our country and in our world, and imagine Jesus is on trial in every community, every family, at every job, and in every place due to the way the church is representing him. Let me say that again. Imagine Jesus is on trial in every community, every family, everywhere, and he's on trial because of the way the church is representing him. And the only way he gets free is through our witness, through our witness. In a courtroom, it is imperative that each side produce credible witnesses to prove their case. The more credible the witness, the greater the chance of winning the case. And we, the church of blood-bought believers, are the Lord's witnesses in the court of public opinion. Here's the thing, Christianity should not be judged by its followers. It should be judged by its founder. In other words, if anybody can find fault with Jesus, you can find fault with Christianity. Unfortunately, though, Christianity is adjudicated by those who say they're Christians, but not do life as Christians. I'll say that again. We are judged, our faith is judged by those who say they're Christians, but don't do life as Christians. I'm reminded of that in Romans 2.24, where Paul says, as it is written, the name of God, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul was talking to the, the Jewish people who claim to know God and claim to have the oracles of God and claim to have the law of God. To claim, they claim they were in relationship with God. But Paul was telling them in Romans 2 that the Gentiles, the outside nations, they have a bad opinion of God because of you. And why is that? Because it was those same Jewish people who claimed to know God they were stealing, they were committing adultery, and they worshipped idols. If you read the context of Romans 2, that's what Paul was saying. Y'all steal, you commit adultery, you worshiping idols, and yet you claim to know them. And as a result, all these other people who don't know God, who haven't heard the word of God, they don't want to know anything about this God, your God, because of how you live in your life. Those who didn't know God had a bad opinion about God because of the hypocrisy committed by those who say they are followers of God. So here's a question. Jesus, what are your qualifications? And what is the proof that you are who you say you are? Keep that question in mind. So I want to talk about a church in Christ is versus a church in Christ is. Crisis is any person, organization, church, congregation, family, 
that is unstable, an unstable or crucial time or state of affairs which a decisive change is impending. Crisis is a stage in a sequence of events at which the trend of all future events, especially for better or for worse, is determined. A turning point. Crisis is a condition of instability or danger, as in social, economic, political, or inter international affairs, leading to a decisive change. A church in crisis are filled with church goers, but not Christ followers. Let me say that again. A church in crisis are filled with church goers, but not Christ followers. You know, it's been my experience growing up in the church where I've seen a number of people have a relationship with the church, but they have no relationship with Christ. And it's Christ that is number one. Having a relationship with him is the most important thing. But Christ is. This is present tense. Christ is. Christ is present. It's, a, it's about who Christ was. Yes, he died on the cross. It's about what he did and it's about who Christ is today and what he's doing today, what he's doing right now in your life, my life, in the church's life. Christ is our healer. He is our intercessor. He is our savior. He is our lover. He is our forgiver. He is our helper. He is. He is more than enough. And a church in Christ is saved. It is healed. It is delivered. A church in Christ is loving and forgiving. A church in Christ strives to daily exemplify the life of Christ as a credible witness of his righteousness. Before Jesus left, by ascending back into heaven, he said this to his church, the pillars of his church, his apostles, and those who were there. He said, you will receive power. That is the Greek word dunamis. It means an inherent power that comes with our new nature in Christ. In Christ, when we get saved, when Christ becomes alive in us, like the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. And Jesus said, you're going to receive this dunamis, this explosive power. To be like me. And then he said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The Greek word witnesses is the word we get martyr. You're going to be my martyrs. In the Greek, that word also means a legal witness who is willing to die for their testimony. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth, he said, you are going to be my witnesses. In other words, what Jesus was telling them is, I'm going to give you power to do this work. I'm going to give you power to be a Christian. I'm going to give you power to pastor. I'm going to give you power to lead your family. I'm going to give you power 
to live right and to live holy and to live righteous in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I'm going to give you power to be like me. You'll have power to do right in the boardroom. You'll have power to do right in your private times. You'll have power to do right at all times because I'm going to give you my spirit. You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'm going to give you power to do the job and I'm going to give you power to be my witness. The world is going to hate me. It hates me and it also is going to hate you. The world may not have a good opinion of me, but I am depending on you to be my witness, to be my witness of his goodness. Because listen, there is no heavenly White House uh, that we can go to anywhere in the world or in Jerusalem where we can go see Jesus. You know, let's get on a plane, Jeff, and go see Jesus and ask him a few questions, right? We, Jesus has ascended on high, sitting on the right hand of the Father. He ended his prophetic ministry when he ascended. You know, Jesus has three offices. He's prophet, priest, and king. While he was here, he operated as a prophet like Moses that would deliver his people. And then when he ascended, his prophetic ministry ended and his priestly ministry began. And now he sits on the right hand of the Father as the Bible says, he ever liveth to give intercession for you and me. He is our high priest that intercedes for us daily. And the Bible tells us that we can come boldly before his throne boldly to bring our prayer request to him he is our high priest and his goal is to pray and intercede for us and to govern the affairs of his church he is the builder of his church and then when jesus returns and he is going to return we don't know how soon uh, people believe it's soon, it could be soon, as in today or in a hundred years from there. Who knows? But I think the Bible was written in such a way that every generation believed that Jesus could come in their generation. But once he returns, he ends his priestly ministry and he begins his forever eternal reign as king. As our Lord and our king forever and ever. A prophet like Moses, a priest like Melchizedek, and a king like David, who will reign forever. Until then, we must occupy until he comes. Until then, we have work to do. Until then, we have lights that we must shine. Until then, we must represent the Lord in such a way. That it brings glory and honor to his name. Amen. Amen. In your full-time ministry, and what is your full-time ministry? Wherever you are and whatever you do for work. If you are a stay-at-home mom, your full-time ministry is there. If you're working at the bank, that's where your ministry is. If you are a teacher in the school system, that is your ministry. If you are an attorney, that is your ministry. Whatever you are called to do, that is your full-time ministry. And the goal for us is that we might represent Jesus 24-7, 365, and bring the name of Jesus, bring the presence of God in every sector of society. 
wherever you are called to serve. I don't care where it is. You could be a leader of a company. You could be law enforcement. You could be whatever. We are called to shine the light of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes. See, we love to talk about Jesus got up from the grave. We love Easter, Resurrection Sunday, as it were. You got a whole lot of people that love to come to worship. What they call it, the CME Christians? Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter. And it's like, okay, it's a check mark. Coming to worship on a, on a Sunday, this is not a check mark in our week. At best, the best way I can explain what we're doing in here is in sports terms. I'm old football, basketball player. I'll use football terms in this sense. This is like a locker room. And in the locker room is where, amen, we get pepped up. We get built up. We put our clothes on. We put our helmet, shoulder pad. We put on the armor, right, that we need to go out on the field. And when we're dressed, they may bring in the cheerleaders to, to cheer us up and, 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 and to get us going. But the goal is not to stay in the locker room. The goal is to take what you learn in the locker room and take it out on the field. Jesus said, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. So when you come in here, you come in here to get your marching <laughs> instructions. In the locker room, the coach may draw up different plays and different schemes for offense and defense. Amen. And the coach in the church, it's like what the pastor does, drawing up the plays for the upcoming days and weeks. The message from the word of God is to get us prepared. But the goal is for you and I that when the benediction is said and we walk out these doors, we take what we've learned and uh, being built up in this room, we go out there and play it on the field. And the field starts with our own household because that's where your greatest wars will be fought. In your own home, in your own marriages, with your children. And the bottom line is this for us Christians. I don't want to be successful in trying to save a world and my own family don't see that same energy. I don't, I don't want to just put my energy in ministering to the masses, but I can't minister to my wife. I can't minister to my children and now my grandchildren. That's where the playing field starts. And if I'm faithful at home, then I take it in the marketplace. And I take it everywhere I go. And the goal is for us to let our light shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. There's another scripture that says, while he was here, he was the light. But when Jesus taught on, the, on the, <clears throat> the, the Mount of the Beatitudes, when he gave that first long discourse and, and message, he told his disciples, you are the light of the world. If the world is going to see light, they're going to have to see it in you. What about you, Jesus? Yeah, I, I, I'm a light while I'm here, but my goal is for you to learn about me. I send you my spirit so then you can be like me. So if the world is going to be saved, it's going to be saved through you.
people. What do you mean by that? The Bible says in Romans 10, um, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that God has raised them from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. A few more verses after that, it said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. But then it says, how can they call on him whom they have not heard about? And how can they hear without a preacher or a person to proclaim him? And how can they do that unless they be sent? So in other words, God is saying to his church, if they're going to believe in me, they're going to have to see me in you. They're going to have to hear about me through you. That's how the world is going to be saved. He's going to save them, but we got to bring them to him. Power, that's what this power, this Holy Ghost, this what, what the spirit of the Lord, the purpose for God sending his spirit is that we will have this explosive power to go and be like him where he has planted us. Power to be a witness. Let me tell you the five ways God reveals himself to the world. The five ways God has revealed himself. Number one is through Christ. And then it's through creation. And it's through the canon of scripture. I call it the five C's. He's revealed himself through Christ, through creation. As Psalm 19 and 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then we have the canon of scripture. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the, the gospel is the power of God. The fourth is our conscience. Romans 2.15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them. Our conscience, God has put within every person this knowledge of right and wrong. And then, of course, the fifth one is his congregation, the church, the living epistles. Paul calls this living epistles. But the world has a flawed view of Christ. They have a flawed view of creation. They have a flawed view of the canon and of the congregation, the church. Revelations 3.20, Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and, and he with me. You know, growing up in the church, I used to hear evangelists and preachers quote this verse uh, in revival meetings, in crusade meetings, because they were, they were quoting this to the quote-unquote unsaved behold if you I stand at the door knock if you sinners hear my voice and open up I'll come in but let me tell you something Jesus ain't talking to a bunch of sinners he was talking to his church it's his house imagine Christ who's supposed to be Lord over King's Chapel, imagine him at the door knocking, trying to get in because the people in there hadn't invited him in. Imagine going home to your own house and then you try to get in and can't get in and wonder, 
what's wrong with my key? And you hear a voice on the other side. You might want to go crazy, right? Then you find yourself having to knock on your own door. Jesus is knocking on the door of his own church. Imagine having church and not knowing that Jesus ain't even in there. Hmm. This church, Laodicea, they were wealthy. They thought they had it going on. But Jesus said they were poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked. They were lukewarm. All of those things was associated with this particular church. And if you read the story in, in, in Revelations 2 and 3, you'll find that of the seven churches, only two did not have a rebuke from the Lord. The church at Smyrna, they were simply a, serving, a suffering church and the church at Philadelphia of brotherly love. All the other ones, Jesus had some major issues with. And why? They were all members of the church. You and I, we are all members of the church. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to read these first three verses. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need like some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You are, we are, yes, we have the Bible. We have this word, but you and I are also living epistles. Written of God. Known by people. And in many cases, people will first be introduced to who God is by you before they even read the canon, before they even read the Bible, they have first read you. And what are you communicating? What are you and I communicating? If a person's introduction to the faith is not the Bible, but you, then what opinion will they have of Christianity? Oh, we have a responsibility on our shoulders. Oh, we celebrated the resurrection on last week. But it didn't end there. If anything, it had just begun. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And when we come alive in Christ, it's not so that we can just stand idly by like, you know, like the disciples was when Jesus ascended. Here are the disciples. They're just looking up. They're just looking up, standing there. Just stand. And the Bible says two. If you read it there in Acts 1, two men in white, two angels said to them, men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing? What are you standing gazing for? This same Jesus that you see ascending shall return in like manner. But what he don't want you to do is stand here looking up, waiting on him to return. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait until you've been endowed with power. And when that power comes, 
The power that you and I, the power that every believer, I'm talking about true, authentic, bona fide believer. I ain't talking about the fake people. I'm talking about those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb with the fruit of repentance. Repentance is not a set of words. Repentance is action. It is what you do. It is a military term. Repent means turn about face and go in the opposite direction. So when I've truly repented, whatever direction I was going, that was opposite of the kingdom. When I repent, I've done an about face. I've turned from my sin, turned to God, and I go after him. Paul says, I apprehend that which have apprehended me. He's got a hold of me, and now I want to get a hold of him. He came after me, and so until my dying day, until I leave here, I will go after him. Because the Bible says he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Oh, we don't get brownie points for coming into the locker room. Everybody comes to the locker room. But how many of us are going out on the field and being the men and the women God want us to be? The husbands and the wives God want us to be. The fathers and mothers God want us to be. The sons and daughters, the brothers, the friend, the leader, the businessman, the church leader that God wants us to be. Let me prepare to close and give you this story on why you and I are so important. In the grand scheme of things. And this story comes from the Bible. And I'll be done. John 12. This is my first closing, Jeff. You know, we get three of them. Yeah. Y'all didn't know that. Black preachers get three closings. That's the first one. John 12 says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. Interesting enough, half of the book of John is dedicated to the last week of Jesus. Half, the whole book, half of the whole book is dedicated to those that last week. Jesus, six days before he, before the Passover, he came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Second verse. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them. Lazarus was one of those reclining tables. The reason why I'm putting emphasis on Lazarus is because where we're we going now in the ninth verse. A large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus. They didn't come. Look like to me, if a crowd is going to show up, Jesus is the one they come in to see. But the Bible says they didn't come not only for Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also. Why do you want to? I thought y'all was coming after Jesus. Yeah, we're coming after Jesus. But the reason why we're coming after Lazarus, because Lazarus is the proof that Jesus is who he said he is. The reason why the enemy comes after you, the reason why he comes after your marriage, the reason why he comes after your family, after you, after your work, after your ministry, because if he can take you out, then that's one witness, one less witness, one less person that is proof 
that Jesus is who he says he is. And the 11th verse, here it is. The reason why they wanted to kill Lazarus. Because he, Lazarus, was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. We got to kill Lazarus. I got to kill Jeff Jakes. I got to get rid of you. I got to move you. I got to come after you. Because if I can get rid of you, I can get rid of your witness. That's the reason why we get fault. That's the reason why your life has trials and tribulations. Because the enemy really does want to take us out. Because there's nowhere we can find Jesus, the man, the person, the human being, nowhere on this earth. What we do find is his church, his witnesses, those who are filled with his spirit. If I can silence Katie, if I can silence you, because if I can get you to focus on trials and tribulations, problems and pain and silence you, then that means you can't talk about me, right? The enemy comes, and the Lord allows him. He comes to try to silence you, to get rid of you, to move you to a place of helpless, hopeless. I heard, I was watching a, a documentary last night, and I was listening to the person who was doing this documentary. And basically, one of the things he said that broke my heart, he said he had stopped believing in God because of how this priest, this church leader, the things that they said and the things that they did, it was like he lost faith in the church and he lost faith in God. We are his examples. And as I bring this home, like Lazarus, here's the question. Who's trying to kill or persecute you? Because your life reminds them of Jesus. Here's a question for all of us. Is there enough evidence in your life? Is there enough evidence in your life to convict Jesus of being a savior? To convict Jesus of being a deliverer? To convict Jesus of being a heart Regulator, a mind fixer to convict him of being who he says he is. Hmm. Troubles work for his and our good, Romans 8, 28, because he continues to write his story. We are letters written by him. And may we all die to self as martyrs. Church, we are on trial. A church in Christ is on trial in these troubling times. It's like today, I just want to be called a, a, a Christian. Just call me a Christian. Just call me a Christ follower. Because there are some other names because of how people have misappropriated and choices that uh, folks have made. You, you don't even want to be called an evangelical today. 
that evangelical means so many different things in the culture. Just call me a Jesus man. Just call me a Christ follower. Just call me a lover of Jesus. Is there enough evidence in your life? King's Chapel, is there enough evidence in this church to convict Christ of being who he says he is? And can Jesus count on you and me to take the witness stand and affirm his lordship? That's the question. Can he count on you? Can he count on me? If the judge or if the, the attorney calls on you to take the witness stand, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Give me a Bible. Put my hand on it. They don't do that no more. I'll be a witness. David is Jesus who he says he is? Yes. And let me tell you why. And I'll go into my testimony. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony. It is your testimony coupled with the blood of Jesus that is the picture of victory for a hurt, broken, lost, and dying world. Be a church that is in Christ. Don't be a church that is in crisis. That is my message. I pray that the Lord has spoken I pray that your heart has been uplifted, your life has been challenged, and may we hide this word in our heart so that we won't sin against it. Amen? God bless you and God keep you is my prayer.